0: How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Philacrosophy podcast, in-season edition with Andy Towers, PLL Chaos head coach, really fired up to be back. This is week one, and we're going to go through AT's top 20. Andy, how you doing, man? I'm above average. How are you? I'm doing well. It's great to uh, kick off the uh, weekend and be able to watch some college lacrosse games. What were your thoughts, uh, just kind of
1: out of the gate? Uh, I, I – I love that we finally are on a little bit more of a legitimate weekend just with more games. You know, obviously the Ivy League teams haven't played yet. A few other teams haven't played yet. So it's not quite there. Uh, you know, as a guy that went to Brown, it, you know, it doesn't feel like it really has kicked off until every team is playing. But for the most part, um, you know, I, I was impressed with the play. Um, you know, I, and, and I think what we're seeing is you know sort of three groups of teams when you look at the top 20 i know we're going to go through it right here um you know to me i, I think you kind of have like you know a, a small group then you've got the next group and then you've got kind of that third group and then you know what's going to happen who's going to fight to get in the top 20 out of teams that currently aren't in the top 20. um you know but i i i, I thought things for the most part went ex- went as expected i thought that high point would would fare a little bit better final score wise. I thought that uh, Richmond would get beaten worse. Um, but again, you know, you just don't know. You, you, you think you know, but you don't know until they actually play the games. All right. Well, let's start off with your
0: number 20 slot, the Richmond Spiders. They played Maryland, lost in double overtime, really could have won that game.
1: Yeah. I, I watched uh, a lot of that game and I was just, I was really impressed with Richmond. You know, They were opportunistic in transition. They seemed to have a plan um, You know, on defense that slowed Maryland down. And to be perfectly honest, I switched it over to the Hopkins-Towson game uh, at 12-7, thinking that Richmond was going to close out and win. They were winning face-offs, and they just looked in control of the game. I couldn't believe when I saw that Maryland came all the way back and, and was able to win. it. I mean, I could believe it, but, but wow, what a comeback that was. Um, you know, I think what we're seeing is, is these, these teams that, you know, have sort of been sort of that top or, are, or, are, are 12 ranked 12 and beyond are now a greater threat to beat the teams in the top five than ever before. I feel like no doubt. Okay. So number
0: 19, Lehigh just entered your top 20.
1: Yeah, you know, they kind of went and did what they were supposed to do. They played Utah. They won 16-11. You know, Utah, I think, is is continuing to get closer and closer to the teams that are in the top 20, and this was a good game. Um, I'm not surprised Lehigh won. It's about how I would expect it to be. But, you know, I think we can look in two years from now, and I think Utah probably wins this game or gets close to. Number 18, Duke plummets from a top 10 down to number 18 with their loss to air force yeah you know um i just don't think duke has many guys that scare you you know you got we covered this in our initial podcast you know obviously jt giles harris is arguably the best cover guy the number one defenseman in the country you know their face-off guys have had a lot of success um i just don't feel like duke has anybody on offense that scares you you know, they they don't. They've got good stick work and, and they've got good players. But I don't think there's somebody that, you know, they can flip the ball to. I would have said it was Montgomery. He would have been the guy that I look at as being able to break down anybody with lateral quickness and speed. And it doesn't seem like he's been doing much, um, you know. And, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think this could be a really tough year for Duke. You know, what was it about? five, six years ago where Cuse had that season, that was that was five and eight. And, and you know, they just, it just didn't seem like they had anybody. I just feel like this version of Duke is kind of like that. You know, Montgomery, to me, is the one guy offensively that would scare me on this team. And while he was one and three on Saturday, I think he was 0-0 against Air Force. And I just don't, I just don't know. I, I will say that I applaud the fact that, you know, Coach Danowski made a change in the goal and, you know, they did end up beating, you know, high point by a lot of goals. But I do think that the score is not indicative of how good of a team high point is and just how close these two teams are. I just kind of think it got away from high point in the end.
0: Yeah. Well, I watched the Air Force Duke game and the Air Force played great. And they've got some kids that no one's heard of that can flat out play this freshman tackling from Utah you know, was like a man among boys. I think he had eight points in the game, and he, he literally just posted guys up and scored goals and popped BTV feeds.
1: Yeah, it looked, Air Force looked the way that Duke looks, and, and, you know, I was really impressed with Air Force from their goalie. And I know they lost to Denver this week, and I know we'll talk about them, but, you know, Air Force looks like they, they're a legit team, you know, from the goal to, to people up front that can score goals. Uh, they looked. They looked very, uh, very well coached. Yeah, no doubt.
0: In that game, Nakai didn't even like get much run. You know, I mean, like he was zero zero in the game, but I, for whatever reason, like, you know, it wasn't like normally you see your best midfielder out there on every shift and, and yeah. like initiating and making lots of plays. So I'm not really sure what's going on, but it was it was kind of interesting to sort of see that. No question. All right, um, number seventeen, Towson um, got. A little bit uncharacteristically beaten up by Hopkins. I know they've lost a lot defensively, but this didn't look like the same sort of dominant physical defense that they've had over
1: the years. No question. And I, listen, I I think teams that are great defensively, um, you know, oftentimes are the recipients of great faceoff guys. You you look at Albany a few years ago when TD Ireland was still at school there and, you know their defense that year did well until the until they played, you know, a lot of defense when they ended up playing Denver in the in the playoffs. I felt, um, you know, Alex Woodall dominated the X for Towson to the tune of whatever it may be, seventy four percent plus the last you know couple years. And I think that Towson just wasn't playing a lot of defense the last few years. Sean Madeline is one of the best defensive coaches in the country. This is a team that's always. Tough as hell, they're gonna beat the shit out of you. Um, but they got beaten up at the faceoff x. Prouty from Hopkins was very impressive. Narus- Naruski very impressive. I, you know, I think this was more of a positive Hopkins offense yeah. and balance in their scheme. You look at the stuff that they did with Evan Zinn on the right wing. The down picks, he came off top side, pounded one shot. The next, you know, opportunity came in, threw it to the pipe for a dunk. You know, Hopkins looks like they're much more organized on the offensive end, and they've got more midfield to attack balance. And this is without Joey Epstein. And I think the fact that they won so many face-offs and Towson had to play so much defense that it just wore them down in the end. I mean, this was 6-6 at one point, but then Hopkins just pulled away from them. And I think you saw Towson defense that just played too much defense and got tired.
0: Yeah, probably right. And also, they have lost some world-class talent. I mean, they're short sticks that they've lost over the last couple of years. Um, that are all pro. They're pros now. On their run when they went to the Final Four and up in, through the last couple of years, they had elite shorties. So you just never saw Towson guys. You know, you never saw them have to slide that much in the past. You know, that's right. All right, let's talk about number sixteen. Loyola um, went up against a buzzsaw in Virginia, but ended up battling back, playing some zone in the second half. Um, and, um, you know, really competed much better once they got their feet underneath them defensively.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, the turning point in this game was clearly when Loyola switched to a zone. You know, I think Virginia was, what, up 9-2 at one point? Yeah. Um, And it just goes to show that Virginia's probably not going to see much man-to-man defense this year. I I wouldn't think so. You know, it seemed like outside of, you know, a bomb by – Docs Aitken, they just struggled to score goals as soon as Loyola went to the zone. And it looked like they didn't really have a plan. They were forcing the crease. Um, You know, and, and, you know, the guys that I think Matt Ward was doing the game, and, you know, I think he commented on the fact that zone offenses take a little while to um, come to fruition. And Loyola's willingness to switch into a zone really caused some problems for Virginia's offense. and, you know, that, that's not to mention the play of Alex Rode in the goal. I, I want to say he had 10 first quarter saves. So, you know, it's not like Loyola wasn't generating high quality scoring opportunities. They were. But, you know, to the benefit of Virginia, Alex Rode stepped up 19 saves. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. And it still was a close game. I mean, this was, you know, Virginia wins 12-9. But Loyola beat them up after they went to the zone. And that is something that Virginia is going to have to address because they're going to see a lot more zone defenses, uh, you know, from the teams on their schedule coming up. No question about it. No question. And Loyola
0: got saves with their new goalie. They rode um, the heck out of Virginia. Got the yep. ball back and in the first half. I mean, must have gotten the ball back like five, six, seven times with just playing hard um, combined with scheme. Um, you know, played. They, Savio looked good at the faceoff X, yeah. um, you know, overall, you know, in a post Pat Spencer era, um, I thought that they actually looked really good and and um, are starting to find themselves.
1: Yeah. I, I spoke to uh, Jamie Hanford this morning about it. And I, I think that it's going to take Loyola a few games for them to figure out who they are offensively, who are going to be the initiators. Aiden Oldenstead did a good job, you know, uh, dodging and feeding. But I think, They need Kevin Lindley, I think, to step out on the perimeter and become a little bit more of a Dodger. They need somebody that can consistently create a slide. If they're not going to get that, then they've got to go to a two-man game, I think, sooner than maybe they want to in order to create some slides on the defensive end. Otherwise, they're going to struggle to create high-quality opportunities on the offensive end. And if they aren't scoring in transition and they're not getting fouled, they're going to have a tough time scoring a lot of goals against a really high-quality team.
0: All right number fifteen air force uh, coming off a huge win last week against Duke and then a, a loss um, in their home opener to denver
1: yeah this was a this was a a game that frankly Air Force in past seasons has played really well in you know they 've kept this game this this early season game versus denver close it 's been a one goal game maybe last year or two years ago and I thought it was going to be that way again, and it sounds like while I didn't watch the game, I was following it, and it sounds like it was, you know, basically 7-7 or 6-6 going into the fourth quarter, and then Denver pulled away through success of their face-off guy, and, you know, I'm not surprised to see Denver win the game. I'm not. I'm a little surprised that it was six goals. I thought it would be closer to, like, a three-goal spread, Um But again, you look at Air Force, you know, they're one and one with a win over Duke and a loss to Denver. I could argue that Air Force should be ranked in the top 10 at this point um, based on their current body of work. But again, just two weeks into the season, some teams not even playing a game yet. It's tough to say there's enough data points to responsibly rank anyone. You know, you're kind of just watching teams play. You're looking at their rosters and you're trying to rank them based on – you know, the subjectivity of those things rather than direct results. But I like where Air Force is sitting right now at one and one with probably the toughest strength of schedule in the country to date. I, I really love what uh, offensive
0: coordinator John Grant Jr. is doing. It's 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 pretty different and it's kind of classic Canadian in in many ways because it's a circle, you know, and um, they, they're, they're just like literally, I just remember watching them against Duke and all I could kind of hear from the bench was, get off the crease. And it really put these defenses that are used to sliding it from the crease in a position where they, they just didn't know who to go from. And sometimes the Air Force was getting all the way in. And sometimes there were like, you know, these sort of late clear throughs that were creating these near man situations. That that left wide open um, players inside when they drop it down to this freshman attackman from Utah, who is a total stud. Um, I haven't seen the Denver game, uh, but I really want to check it out, and I'm so interested in what they're doing.
1: Yeah, they 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 definitely look like they have a plan on the offensive end. Um, I think Air Force is going to be Air Force is going to be a tough team this year. They just look like they have the pieces, and they look like they know who they are already. Right. Yeah, they seem athletic too. I mean, you know, they they were not getting
0: out athleted by Duke, mm-hmm. not at all. It says a lot because that's that's you that almost never happens <laughs> to Duke. They almost out athlete everybody with the, you know their polls and their middies and just the numbers. Um, so let's let's talk about number fourteen Army, uh, huge statement win against
1: uh, a gritty um, UMass program and team so shocked by this result. I'm not shocked that Army won. I, I thought Army would win the game, but I thought it would be a two goal game. You know, that's what I thought it would be. I can't believe that UMass was held to four goals. I mean, I'm not, I'm not too terribly surprised that Army exploded offensively based on, you know, who they were returning on the offensive end with, with Nick Turn and O'Brien. And, uh, you know, I knew they would have the ability to score some goals, but I am shocked by UMass only scoring four goals. I mean, that just, that really, that really surprises me. They're going to have to figure some things out because I believe they got Ohio State coming to uh, Amherst. No, they're playing out in Columbus, I think, this week, and that's going to be a big game, and UMass better figure it out quickly because I think Ohio State is even scarier than Army. let's talk about number
0: 13, Georgetown. Um, When... Uh, pretty decisive 14 i think 14 to 3 or something uh 17 win, 17 to three. Three win over lafayette um i watched this game I, I thought georgetown looked really balanced um and you know they've got good face-offs um they competed well last year and, and their guys back um they can make saves they've got Caraway and attackman that Gives you an absolute dodging threat and, 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 a, and someone you just have to slide to um, or run the risk of getting run by. They
1: got athletes in the midfield, pretty balanced group. Yeah, Loyola could use a guy like Jack Caraway, that's for sure. Um, you know, I, I was really shocked by this result. I knew Georgetown was a good team, but I frankly thought Lafayette would play them a lot closer based on last week's result versus Penn State. I thought Penn State would come out and pound Lafayette. And while they were winning at one point by 10 goals, Lafayette came back at the end of the game and, and made the margin, uh, you know, the goal margin closer than I thought it would have been. And I thought that that momentum would have carried over against Georgetown, which I don't think is as strong as a team as, as Penn State. Um, you know, I just thought the game would be a lot closer. I could have seen it, you know, 13-9, 13-8, something like that. So 17-3 to really blew me away. Look at the goal stats for Georgetown. Right They got Owen McElroy, who is their starter, right? Is he the starter for them this year? Yeah Owen McElroy. three saves, two goals allowed. right? Noah Klein, two saves, one goal allowed. Jack Stevenson, one save, zero goals allowed. so so what they, they had nine shots, and Lafayette had nine shots on goal, three of them went in, and six of them were saved. I've never heard of anything like that. That's the the, the weirdest. It's the weirdest stat line I've ever seen in my life almost. Um just shocked that Georgetown beat them as soundly as they did. Georgetown might be a team that that we're talking about in May as a as a you know, a team that's a threat to to make it into the quarterfinals or even farther than that. We'll see what happens. All right, let's talk about number 12 Denver,
0: another big east um team uh coming off their opening season opener win against Air Force.
1: Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not surprised they won. Um, you know, I'm just surprised that they beat Air Force by six goals after watching Air Force beat Duke. I just, uh, you know, and the Air Force goalie played great. 21 saves is unbelievable. Um, and he left 13 goals in the 21 saves. This kid is, he's one of the hottest. He's, he's arguably the best goalie in the country at this point, the Air Force goalie host. Um, you know, but Denver was able to have some face-off success. They got five goals out of J.J. strip. Silstrop, however you pronounce his name. I, I, I'm wondering who this version of Denver is. They lose a lot of players. I know they got some great short sticks in Danny Logan and Kyle Smith, and you know obviously they got an unbelievable coaching staff, but I just I, I can't I, I need to see more D u before I can feel like I have a handle on who exactly they are um, as a team this 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 year.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, obviously, um, Bill Tierney is the best ever john wooden of lacrosse without a doubt um, always has his teams ready to play and, and matt brown is arguably the best offensive coordinator in the game when denver was winning championships and making all of those final fours you know they they had really, really high-end talent that almost all became pro players at one level or another. And I believe that, you know, they have that in Ethan Walker. The question is, is this cell strip guy and and some of these other kids um, going to be able to play at that high of a level where they can create offense? Because once you got some guys that can create offense for Matt Brown, he'll get the ball moving and figure out ways. The guys can always shoot. They've always – they recruit that way. they got Canadians – um, the question is, could they beat people? Um, and I think that, you know, it's good. That's what, to me, is going to be most interesting to see.
1: Well, the other side of it is, you know, when you got Trevor Baptiste winning 75% of the faceoffs, married with those kind of offensive players, you yeah. really just don't have a lot of pressure on you. And you can whip the ball around. And you can take chances. And you can play without a lot of conscience. And And that is when teams like Denver can get really, really scary. You know, let's see what happens – as the season progresses. And if their freshman faceoff guy can, can continue, I mean, he's the one that ended up taking more of the draws. If he ends up, you know, at, at 68% plus, Denver's going to be a really tough team to beat as they get their feet underneath them on the offensive end.
0: Yeah, no doubt.
1: Um, okay, so let's look at uh, number 11, Johns Hopkins. Yeah, I, I was – we talked about a little bit before we were discussing Towson. I'm, I'm really impressed with them. I feel like they've created some some really good momentum for the season and to put up 17 goals or 15 goals against Towson which is annually one of the very best defensive teams in the country and even though they lost their great faceoff guy and and you know they lost some great players it's still the Towson culture and the Towson scheme and the coaches and and you know but Hopkins had no trouble and they had no trouble Without their best offensive player, their best overall player, in Joey Epstein, and we, you know, I, I think the balance that Hopkins showed. Great to see Cole Williams play the way that I felt like he should have played his whole career down there. He, he didn't press. He was opportunistic. He shot smart. He didn't force things. He showed great vision. Um, you know, if Cole Williams goes out and he's able to go three and four. Versus Towson without Joey Epstein, that you know that's that that bodes well for Hopkins and I, this is a team that I think offensively is going to be a force to reckon with especially now with the emergence of Evans. In gives them a big time athlete with great speed and a great outside shot. He showed some good vision at least on his one assist coming off that pick. Uh, I I think Hopkins is going to be I think Hopkins is going to make a step forward and be in you uh, know one of those teams that's you know, a top eight team this year. Uh, I think we and, – and, and the best is yet to come for them. If they can continue to get consistency in the cage like they got on Saturday with Ryan Darby, um, I, I think this is a team that, uh, that's going to do some damage. I do. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them challenge Penn State and Maryland for the Big Ten Championship this year. Yeah,
0: no doubt. Um, I saw them practice a couple of weeks ago, and obviously it was early, and Epstein was out. But, man, they are so skilled. The way they bang the ball, they're well-coached. They, they do simple things, but they do them really, really well. Um, and like you said, Cole Williams is a horse. I mean, that guy is a force um, to be reckoned with if, if he has his head right, and it, sounds, it seems like he does. Um, let's talk about
1: number 10, Ohio State. Yeah, this, this, I thought they'd score more goals. They ended up beating BU 11-4, to and, and I thought they would score more goals. The shocking part to this game was that BU won the faceoffs. And even though Ohio State's main guy is it Ignacio, he's the guy that's been hurt for them. Yep. You know, even though he's out, they got a couple of other really good faceoff guys on their team, yet BU was able to win a lot of the, the draws. And that certainly kept the game closer than I thought it would be. 11 to 4 is still a thumping, but it's not 17 to 3. It's not 17 to 4. You know, but I, I do think Ohio State is firmly as a, firmly a top 10 team. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in their game versus UMass because Greg Ganel is a great coach and UMass getting blown out, I think, is going to uh, create a big challenge for Ohio State at home as UMass looks to bounce back. So I'm not surprised that Ohio State won. I was a little shocked by the low offensive output, but that's explainable by the lack of faceoff success.
0: Number nine, Notre Dame, still zero and zero, but in the top ten.
1: Yeah, not a lot of not a lot to comment on here. Um, You know, we spoke about them in our preseason poll two weeks ago. It's going to be interesting to see how they look. um, You know, without Jerry Byrne there, Um, but again, they got great players. They got great defensive personnel. They've got a first-team All-American midfielder in Brian Costabile. is Charlie Leonard, their face-off guy, healthy? I'm hearing rumors that he might not be healthy. What do you know about that, I Yeah,
0: so what I know about that is that um, it was questionable, um, but he is practicing. And um, there was thought that maybe he would redshirt the year, but it doesn't look like he's going to. So um, if anybody's going to be able to will it, make it happen, he'll be uh, my boy Charlie Leonard. Yeah, that
1: kid is a total beast. I was talking with uh, Nat St. Laurent yesterday as we were kind of going over next year's or this year's draft. And uh, Charlie Leonard, uh, you know, is a guy that I think you're going to see playing in the PLL this summer if he's healthy, even though he doesn't get the same amount of fanfare as uh, TD Erland and Gallagher and Arcieri. I, I, I do think he's right on the level with those guys. And if he's able to go out and win, you know, 50% plus against the very best teams in the country, Notre Dame's going to be there in the end. Um, you know, they better, hope that, they better hope that he stays healthy all year long because that's going to be critical to their success. Number eight, Cornell. Again, like Notre Dame, we we just can speculate on their roster. They got all the pieces. Um, you know, if they can shore up their faceoff X this spring, they're going to be a threat to beat anybody in the country. They just are, um, but they haven't played a game yet, so tough to comment on that. They're opening up uh,
0: at Albany or against Albany this weekend. So
1: that yeah, be- I, I think that they're gonna. I think they're gonna win that game. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. All right, let's talk
0: about number seven, UNC. They're 2-0, uh, beatdown win over Colgate, and a solid win over Mercer. Um, hard to know who they are yet because they haven't played somebody that's really pushed them, but they really didn't beat anybody up like this uh, in the last couple of years, the addition of Chris Gray, um, and that, that midfield group that are all now seniors that have been starters since they were sophomores, plus a bunch of kids that were freshmen last year that are now sophomores. Um, they, they've got some offensive firepower for
1: sure. Yeah, you know, you, I agree with you. It's great to see the offensive explosion that they've had the first two games. I think they're sort of the opposite of Hopkins or the way that the Hopkins had been, where Hopkins was attack heavy without a lot of midfield threat and not a lot of balance there. I felt like it was the same thing with Carolina the last few years, where they had, you know, strong midfielders and, and ran everything through there, but it didn't seem like they had an attack in that – teams had to worry about sliding to with consistency. But again, you know, like Evan Zinn has stepped in and added balance to Hopkins' offense, I think that Chris Gray's transfer from BU into North Carolina has done the same thing for North Carolina. It's given them, you know, a threat behind the goal as well as uh, to, to, to complement the, you know, the strong midfield that they have. And then you get the emergence of some some other attackmen with Cameron and Solomon and and, and Alex Trippy, and, and you're seeing an offense that's going to be able – to be a threat to put up 12 plus on whoever they're playing. And if they can get consistent face-off success from Zach Tucci and they're consistently, you know, getting 50% plus in the goal from Caden Johnson, this is a team that's going to be there in the end. Um, you know, it's great to see. It's great to see them.
0: Um, number six cues and the reemergence of number 22, Chase Scanlon didn't disappoint um, with seven goals um, shot the lights out and showed why they
1: gave him that number. Yeah, you know, I think that they, listen, to me there's a major difference between Gary Gate, Charlie Lockwood, Ryan Powell, Casey Powell, Mikey Powell, and Chase Gamlin. Chase Gamlin is a great shooter, no question. You know, he's, he's great at finding seams. Uh, you know, he shoots with deception as well as anybody does anywhere. But you're not flipping him the ball and having him, you know, go out and run past guys and, and, and initiate offense the way that those other 22s have. He had a great performance, seven goals, awesome. But they're, you know, way more dynamic than just that kid. I don't even think he's the best offensive player on their team. Um, but he certainly is a fantastic shooter. I think he scored seven goals on – on nine shots. The highlight for me in this game and watching it was listening to Rick Beardsley as the color guy. I mean, Rick is a natural. It was. I'm so happy that, you know, he's going to be coaching in the PL this summer for Atlas, and just listening to him articulate the subtleties of this game in, in a way that only Rick can uh, articulate it's like I could smell the cologne through the the (laughs) broadcast (laughs) I felt like I was wearing a black tank top um (laughs) but he nailed it I mean he really really nailed it and I hope they can get him on more games I know he's going to be on the Binghamton game this weekend but uh great to see Cuse be back into the to the thick of it all I wouldn't be surprised to see Cuse in Virginia and North Carolina as the teams that are fighting out to win the ACC. But again, you know, Notre Dame could go and do it too. I, I just, I do think that Duke is the team that's, that's going to finish last in the ACC this year based on what we see at this point. But, um, you know, Syracuse, Syracuse look great.
0: Yeah. A, a couple comments on Chase Scanlon. Um, so first of all, I, I agree. There's no comparing Chase Scanlon at this point, in his career to the, a lot of the other 22s. Um, he did step in uh, under the pressure and uh, deliver, and, um, and, and you may be right that he, maybe he isn't the best player on that team, and I think they've got a lot of depth. I mean, they, they've got a lot of athletes. Um, they've got a lot of guys. They move the ball well, and I think shooting probably is his best thing, but I did watch this kid play a fair amount of Junior A box lacrosse, and as a 17- and 18-year-old, he dominated a league. Physically, with dodging, feeding, scoring, getting to the goal, feeding, in a way that you don't see people do um, in junior A lacrosse at that age. Um, Physically, he's he's not going to be able to put a team on his back, but I think you're going to see out of this kid more playmaking and more, wow, that was actually really impressive. I can't believe he just made that play um than um than what you than what you're what you what you saw in that Colgate game. I mean he scored 50 goals. He played with Pat Spencer. Um he was getting a poll as a freshman. Um as this kid grows up I think he's gonna be a pretty special player. Uh to the tune of Gary Gate Mikey Powell, no, I don't think so either. But I think he's actually pretty special.
1: Yeah. Listen, I and am not trying to bash him. Oh no. we're talking about you know seven National Hall of Famers that have worn this number no six or seven. And and you know, I think he's probably a first-team caliber uh, player. Yeah. But could be. Not that you know. He could be. You know, as an attackman, I don't know if he is as an attackman. You know, he, he, he's yeah. probably a top-10 attackman this year, whereas as a midfielder, he might be higher than that. Yeah. Um, let's wait and see. You know, certainly know six, seven know. goals on nine shots. What's that? I agree with you. I, I, I think he's probably a better midi also, number one. Number two,
0: um, you know, in this year of attackmen, he may not even be top 10. I mean, there's right. attackmen that's, I mean, like, you know, it's absurd. Um, but, um, but, I, but I think he's a, he's a nice player, and I think that um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. We'll, we'll see. Um, yeah. Let's talk about number five, Penn. I, we already kind of have. They're still 0-0. Zero zero. The Ivy League hasn't opened up action. They did scrimmage Georgetown. Um, and it was, you know, one-goal game or something after the half when they were subbing. It was their first day on on February 1st, so I'm not sure how much you take from it. Um, But uh, your thoughts on them?
1: I I think they're a scary team. You know, they got arguably the best player in the country in Sam Hanley. We covered them a little bit two weeks ago. We did the initial podcast. I'm going to be really anxious to see what happens in this Maryland game. Um, I think the Penn – it wouldn't surprise me to see them beat Maryland. And the reason being is I think that they're going to, I think they're going to win the face-offs in that game. I think Gallagher is going to get them the ball. And I think that their offense is going to be tough to stop. I mean, Richmond put up 13 goals on Maryland. And I think Penn's offense is more dynamic than Richmond's. And I think their face-off guy is better. And the Richmond face-off guy did real well. And if, if Penn is consistently getting the ball back, they're going to be a tough team to, to stop. They, they are, Um, you know, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this Penn Maryland game. I think it's going to be a great one. So I I feel great with Penn at five, um, but they gotta, they gotta go out and they gotta, you know, prove that this is a team that can be successful without Matthias on attack, without um, Tyler Dunn, out Reed Junkin, you know, they, they've got, Great kids coming in, but the culture is unique every single year. And, um, you know, we're going to find out more about them when they get thrown into the fire against, you know, one of the best teams in the country, Maryland. Well, Maryland, number four. So you're just re- sort of referencing them, but uh, give your thoughts on Maryland. Just disappointed. Um, you know, and I don't mean that as a knock on Richmond. Maybe it's, an, maybe it's underselling Richmond, but I would have thought that Maryland would have had no problem they didn't look really inspired to me. And, and, you know, they gotta, they gotta be careful about that because they're gonna get everybody's best shot. And Dan Shamati's is a great coach and that's an experienced Richmond team. But I just, you know, I thought that Maryland was incapable of sort of losing these games anymore. And I'm not gonna say they got lucky because they won, but they, you know, they could have easily lost this game. And if I'm looking at this, uh, you know, I, I, this makes me this, – this certainly makes me look at Maryland and feel like they have some some kinks in the armor. And, and you know, they might not be lucky this, this next time around if they don't come out and attack every single team, you know, by staying in the moment. It looked like they coasted for three quarters and then turned it on and were able to, you know, slip out with the win – Um, but I, you know, this is, this, this is to me something that, uh, Maryland needs to be concerned with this.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, after I watched Maryland scrimmage Georgetown and they throttled them, they shot 13 for 21 in the first half. And I was like, I knew Georgetown was solid, you know, um, but they just hammered them and scored it well. Um, I really felt I was a huge buyer of Maryland and I I would say I still am, but, um, I agree with you. There are some chinks in the armor. Um, and you know. It also goes to show you just how strong the SOCON is getting. Because, you know, got, you know, everyone's talking about High Point because they had this, you know, Cinderella year in many ways last year, and they're returning as Waratahn candidate in Asher Nolting. And, you know, you got Air Force who just knocked off Duke. And honestly, you know, you flip the channels thinking, all right, I think, you know, Richmond has this game in the bag. So that's going to be a dogfight of a, of, of a conference
1: no question and listen high Point still might be the best team in that conference right um but again you're you're spot on i mean air force beating duke richmond right there it's it it is uh it's it's a tough time to be uh to be coaching college across with the emergence of these teams on the perimeter and, and so many great players and so many great coaches um you know i i I'm anxious to see what happens to both of these teams. I wouldn't be surprised to see Maryland snap back, and and perhaps they're looking past Richmond yeah, to yeah. end this week, and and they got caught that way. Yeah. Uh, one thing that kind of has surprised me so far is Derek Bernard was I think four and one in the first game, and he was three and one in this game. I just feel like he should be dominating these games more than he really is. Um, but we but we do know that Maryland's got great offensive players and, and the balance is one of the things that makes them really scary. But I think you kind of got to be concerned about Maryland's defense at this point. If they're not winning faceoffs and they're playing a lot of defense, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough, uh, you know, that, that, that seems to be the way to beat Maryland. You got to win the face-offs, keep the ball away from their offense and uh, try to go to work on their, on their transfer goalie and their, and their defense.
0: No doubt. Um, Number three is Yale, still zero and zero. Um, thoughts on them?
1: Yeah, I think that they're going to be a really scary team. They've got the best face-off guy in the history of college lacrosse or him and Baptiste. You know, those are the two best ever. Um, they've got the best – one of the – first-team All-American defensemen fake. They've got a great pole. They've got great midfielders. They've got, you know, a scary attack with Moral and Gaudette. And, I you know – This the team might be the best team in the country, and I think that they're going to be able to win faceoffs and suffocate teams, um, you know, by maintaining possession and scoring. And it's going to be a really, really tough team to go on any sort of offensive runs again. If you're not winning faceoffs, and they're not going to win faceoffs, I don't think so. They might be the best team in the country. We'll see what happens. Um, You know, I, I sort of have them unofficially with Penn State and Virginia as sort of the three. Teams in the top block. And then I got, you know, sort of the next group of about eight teams together. Um, so, you know, I, I think we're going to find out who's going to be that fourth team. I would have thought it would have been Maryland, but they didn't look very good this weekend. Maybe it's Carolina. You know, I, I don't. maybe it's Hopkins. Let's find out what happens when we get to see Cornell play and Notre Dame play and Penn play. Could be one of those teams as well. But to me, you've got three teams that have set themselves apart from everybody else with Yale in that group. And
0: Yale opens with Villanova this weekend. Um, and Villanova has been a really strong program that's just sort of run into a couple buzzsaws buzz saws at times with, you know, some of the scores with Penn State or Yale. Um, but this is going to be a, a great test for them uh, in their season
1: opener. No question. I mean, they're they're consistently one of the best coach teams in the country. Villanova is, um, you know, they beat Yale by a goal last year and, Yale didn't lose many games, that's for sure. They played Yale the year before and beat them by a goal. And this is a team that Yale is not going to be taking lightly. You can guarantee that. And Villanova is, is you know, they're, they're, they know that they're capable of going out and beating anybody on any given day. I expect this. I expect Villanova to think that this is going to be a close game. And I think that Yale's going to come in and I think Yale's going to blow them out. Because I think that losing the last two years to Villanova, yeah. um, you know, I think Yale comes into this game with their eyes wide open and ready to go from the start. I wouldn't doubt that
0: uh, that assertion either. The only thing is it's really hard for Ivy League teams that have only been practicing for two weeks. Totally. Yes, um, it will be, you know, 15, 18, 17 days or something of practice before they get going. Um, and all these teams are, are at a pretty significant disadvantage. I mean, it used to be the start date for Ivy League, you know, was has always been February 1st for start practice, but you wouldn't start games until March, and now they've moved it up, you know, so you're going to have a game on, what, the 19th or something.
1: Uh, I, I Listen, I, and I'm with you. I think that's a great point, a valid point, but Andy Shea's been the head coach there for about 15 or 16 years now, and I think that um, – the culture of this program is firmly established and the amount of talent that they have is is absolutely at the top and i think that even though that is the case that they've only been technically practicing you know since feb 1st or whatever it may be i think this is a team that uh, is able to circumvent that issue yeah. more than perhaps other teams I, have been able to check.
0: Yeah. i mean i don't think Yale's going to have as big of a problem with it as but I mean, as in general, it's it's a pretty significant disadvantage for these guys to go for, for Penn to open up against Maryland. It's, it's Maryland's third game. Penn's been practicing for two weeks. Um, it's just it's a it's a difficult um, you know it's it's it, it's it's not an even playing field and and it is what it is. But that's just um, that's it's it's tough for these Ivy League guys that schedule big time games in their opener.
1: But the other side of that, Jamie, is that you know Andy Shea and Mike Murphy they get to watch film. On their opponents, where their opponents don't get that film, mm-hmm. right, and and so there is, you know, there is a slight advantage to not having, you know, anything to to definitely prepare for. You know, it's not like they can say, hey, this is who Maryland was two weeks ago. This is who Maryland was last week. You know, same with Villanova. I, I do think that those coaches are going to be utilizing that respective film advantage, uh, you know, to the best of their advantage. No question about it.
0: Um, so number two, Penn State, um, two, two big wins, 2-0 uh, wins. We expected them to, to – to teams we expected them to beat and they played kind of the way we expected them to play.
1: Yeah, I'm – you know, we became so accustomed to seeing Penn State put up such jaw-dropping numbers last year offensively that even though they win 19-10, to I still sort of feel like, what happened? How come Penn State didn't score 24 goals? You know, I mean, you look at Grant Amen is averaging nine points a game. He goes three and five in this game. I think he was six and four last week. Uh, You know, they're they're shattering these records. Mac (coughs) O'Keefe, excuse me, uh, the best stretch shooter probably in lacrosse college across history. Um, You know, goes for three assists this game. This is a team that. Again, um, I'm not so sure they're not the best team in the country, but but we'll see. All right. So number one, UVA
0: um, really uh, put a clinic put on a clinic in the first half against Laola. Showed a little bit of uh, um, uh, uh, showed a little bit of signs of struggle against zone, but these guys have loaded up. I mean, to me, their offense is is better than it was a year ago. They look as athletic as ever. Um, thoughts on them?
1: Yeah, you know they—they are—they—they they actually are more dangerous, um, you know, on the offensive end than they were last year. There's no question. Just the addition of Peyton Cormier changes them a little bit, in a, in, in a good way. Um, you know, Peter Garneau looked good for them. Uh, you know, I just—I just don't think that they're going to see many man-to-man defenses based on you know who they're throwing out there from a personnel standpoint, and I think that their ability to get up to speed and become, you know, as dangerous of an offensive team versus the zone as they are versus the man to man is going to be something that they got to take care of and they've got to take care of it soon. Um, Because if they don't, they're going to lose games because of it. And, and listen, if they run into a team that is able to beat them at the X and, you know, is efficient on the offensive end and is able to play zone on the defensive end, that's kind of like how Loyola was the last, you know, quarter and a half. They, you know, Loyola beat them the last quarter and a half. There's no question they did. Um, you know, and if, if, if teams are coming in and they're able to game plan for Virginia and Virginia doesn't have an answer, they're going to lose some games. That's, you know, that's what's going to happen. But I, I just – I don't think that anybody playing Virginia – is going, to, is going to be able to succeed playing man-to-man against this team. They just have too many weapons, and they have too much balance between their midfield and their attack, and they just keep throwing guys at you. Uh, you know, I, I, I was really impressed with Virginia for the first half, and then I, and then I sort of thought, wow, it looks like they're pressing offensively. It, did, it looks like they didn't know really how to respond. And again, it's the first game of the year, and the Royal coaches – made a great decision to to move to zone because they were getting their asses kicked in man to man right but right. i i I do think that that is an immediate area of concern for Virginia, and, and I'm confident that they will do what they have to do to uh you know to make teams not play zone i mean listen if they're if they're winning by a bunch of goals teams have to come out of a zone right they can't play a zone unless they're in it to lose close, which none of these guys are in it for that so um right. Well, I think
0: they're going to, you know, eventually figure out how to play well against the zone. I mean, it's not like they've got, you know, all downhill dodging athletes that aren't going to be slick and be able to, you know, run the kinds of drags and roll-offs and throwbacks and skip-throughs. And and they will dodge you, you know. So if you want to play, depends on where you want to put your shorts, that's fine. But they'll dodge your poles, too. Um, So my guess is it may take them a few games, um, but they'll get used to it. Um, Yeah, The addition of Cormier, I think, is going to help them a lot on zone because that guy can shoot it. And he's so slick and he's used to sort of playing the indoor game, which is really, really um, lends itself to zone offense. Um, But the other thing I want to say, too, was Virginia's defense looked really good to me. They looked pretty on point for their opportunities of double teaming and being really, um, you know, whenever Loyola turned their back. Um, those guys were coming, and they were coming with really good timing and good rotations, and their man down looked really good. Um, so uh, they may actually be improved on the defensive end um, while they may have also improved on the offensive end. It's going to be interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, you've got Matt Moore, Ian Laviano, Michael Krause, Peyton Cormier. Fox Aiken to me, are all goal scorers before their playmakers. And that's not to say that Michael Krause isn't a great passer. He is. Matt Moore's a great passer. Peyton Cormier is, uh, you know, a super slick, crafty player as well. But you got a lot of, you know, score-first guys. Mm-hmm. I think you'd look at Reagan Quinn. I think they had him play an excellent extra man. If he's their main feeder here, um, you know, who, who's, who's going to make everybody better as a feeder? probably matt moore um you know and and is he going to take that role it seemed like that's when virginia changed last year is when matt moore sort of took over the quarterback role for this team but um you know we'll we'll see what happens yeah for sure
0: um well at any thoughts on some of the upcoming games
1: this week well we look at this week we talked a little bit about ohio state umass that's a game that I think it's going to be interesting to see.
0: Um, Actually, you know what? I'll rephrase that. I'll go through and I'll ask you you can do your your picks. How about that?
1: Perfect, perfect, perfect.
0: All right, let's finish off with some uh, picks for this week's games. Uh, Hofstra, Michigan.
1: <sighs> I think Michigan i I think Michigan's going to win this game. I think they're taking another step forward. Um, although i I you know, I just don't know. Um, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. It looks like Hofstra played a good game on Saturday. I don't know enough about Hofstra. If they win faceoffs, I think that they're going to be in position. Playing in Long Island is going to help Hofstra. Um, that's a really tough, that's a really tough game to predict. Mount St. Mary's at Towson. I think Towson rolls. Furman at Navy. I think Navy rolls.
0: Lafayette at North Carolina.
1: Carolina rolls. VMI at Manhattan. Mm. Parker and Tana graduated from Manhattan. I'm going to take VMI. Sacred Heart at Bucknell. Bucknell for sure. Drexel at High Point. Wow. This is a tough game. Uh, I think High Point is uh, – I think the, the losses to Maryland and to Duke are going to allow them to regroup in a way that's going to, uh, that's going to be tough for Drexel. I think this is Drexel's first game, correct? Yes. So I'm going to take a high point in this game.
0: New Jersey Institute of Technology at Delaware. Delaware. And at Maryland.
1: I think Penn wins the face-offs. And while I think Maryland plays better, I do think Marco Vanchek um, is going to be able to – is going to have an impact on the defensive end. I think Penn's going to win the face-offs. And I think that Penn – I think Penn's offense is going to have more success against Maryland's defense. And if they're able to win the face-offs like I think they are, I'm going to take Penn in this game. Rutgers at Army. You know, this would normally be a toss-up, um, and, and, and I would lean – I'm going to say Army just based on the strength of their uh, win versus UMass. St. Joe's at Penn State. Penn State. Bryant at Providence. I'm going to take Providence in this one. Cleveland State at Notre Dame. Notre Dame, closer than you think,
0: though. Sienna at Hobart. Hobart, no romp. Hartford at St. John's.
1: St. John's I got. Wagner at LIU. Wow. Uh, I don't know anything about either teams. I'm going to take LIU because I like their colors.
0: <laughs> Brown at QPAC. I'm taking Brown. Oh, yeah. Monmouth at Princeton.
1: I got Princeton. Michael Sauer going off. Stony Brook
0: at Fairfield.
1: Uh, I'm going to take Andrew Baxter in this game. Um, this is an interesting game. It really is. Battle of rookie head coaches. I know Anthony Gillardi and Stony Brook versus, uh, but I, it's at Fairfield. I'm going to take Fairfield in this game. Boston U versus at UMass Lowell. I'm going with uh, Eddie Stevenson and UMass Lowell. Nice. The yep. nice. upset. Uh, Lehigh at Virginia. Virginia. Yale at Nova. Yale. Dartmouth at Merrimack. I'm going with uh, I'm going with Merrimack. That would be a big W for Merrimack, wouldn't it? This is a scary game. This is a tough. This is a this is kind of a tough game. I mean, Dartmouth in one respect kind of has to schedule this game, but I don't like him as an opponent for Dartmouth. Uh, you know, just it doesn't set up well for them. The pressure's on Dartmouth, yeah. and I think Merrimack, coming off of winning the D two National Championship, is 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 the better team. But yeah. again, I don't know too much about about Merrimack. I just. You know, it looks like Dartmouth has struggled the last few years, and I know that they have some more experienced players out there. But I just – I think it sets up for Merrimack to win the game. UMass at Ohio State. Ohio State. Jacksonville at Marquette. Marquette has played two close games so far, uh, but they are playing at home, so I'm going to take Marquette. The Bonnies at Bellarmine. Uh, I, I just think it's too early for the Bonnies. I'm going to take Bellarmine. Cornell at Albany. Cornell is, uh, I think, right now a top eight team. I think they're going to have face-off success, and I don't think Albany's defense is going to be able to stop the Big Red. I got Cornell. Vermont at Holy Cross. I got Vermont in this game. Chris Fife's do a great job. Binghamton at Syracuse. Houston a blowout. Duke at Denver. This is like the kind of game that Duke goes out there and wins. Um, But I just don't think that they're going to be able to do it this year. I just don't think they have enough strength offensively. And I think that the face-off battle is going to be a great one. So I'm going to be interested in watching that. But I just think that Denver is uh, farther ahead. And I think that them playing at home is going to be too much for Duke. I got Denver. Denver's always ready to play in big games too, aren't they? They are. They're so well coached. And – I just, I just feel like, you know, them playing at home. If this was in Durham, I might be inclined to pick Duke, but I just, I just think Denver's going to – I think Denver's, again, too well coached this year. It'll be the last time Duke ever goes to Denver. Probably so. Air Force. <laughs> Air Force at Utah. I'm going to take, uh, take um, Air Force in this. Tough, tough to go against them, but I do think Utah's closing the gap.
0: They're getting better. Oh, this is a big one. Hopkins at Loyola. This is a big
1: one. Um, you know, the face-off matchup is going to be a battle between Savio and Prouty. Uh, does Joey Epstein return in this game? I don't know. I, I I like Hopkins better on the defensive end. I just I just think Hopkins is. Uh, playing at a level above i i do think the fact that it's at Loyola Moyle coming off a loss is going to help them a little bit but i just i just feel like hopkins um i think hopkins has more talent and i feel like uh i think it's i think hopkins is going to have a good year this year i'm going to go with hopkins georgetown at umbc closer than normal uh i think ryan moran his staff's done a great job with umbc but i just think georgetown um has improved too much. And I just don't think they lose these types of games anymore. And Bobby Moe at Canisius. Really know nothing about either team. I'm gonna take uh, I'm gonna take Bobby Moe. All right, love it.
0: AT, so great talking lacrosse to the man. Um have an awesome weekend and uh, we'll catch you up same time next week.
1: Awesome. All right, talk to you soon. Bye, right. sure. bro.
0: How's it going, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcasts. I've had so much fun doing them. I only wish that I'd started recording my lacrosse conversations like 25 or 30 years ago. Now, if you like these podcasts, you will love the content I've created in the JM3 coaches training programs and the academies. Whether you're a coach or a player or a parent, there's so much great information for you guys. I've done this content for men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse for box lacrosse, field lacrosse, youth lacrosse. And the great news is I've created a seven-day free trial. So if you're tired of endlessly searching the internet for great content, just go to www.jm3sports.com slash free trial. You can get access to all of the content I've created for free for seven days. Trust me, when you take a look at it, you're going to want more. Almost everybody gets hooked. All right, enjoy the rest of the podcast.